Blog Talk Radio. Happy Valentine's Day to you. This is Michael Gordon, and you are listening to The Mind Whisperer. You and I jumped right in. And for those of you who might be interested, uh, that uh, intro music that you're hearing is actually uh, a title track from... uh, my own personal uh, CD release from a couple years ago called Set Free. And uh, if you like that music, it's available on uh, iTunes and also for download and also from cdbaby.com. And I'd be more than happy if you uh, supported me being my creative self uh, through music by uh, purchasing the download or, of course, on iTunes, whatever tracks that you like. Um, but that's beside the point, and today um, we are faced with more uh, pecune matters, I guess, is a word that came to mind. Um, today being Valentine's Day, we are sort of coming to fruition with this series of talks uh, that we've been having, or I've been giving, <laughs> uh, on the topic of uh, attracting your perfect partner. And Today we're talking about perfect love. And uh, and how to attract it. So, as always with this program, uh, even though I do set a topic, uh, it is an open format, and I, I welcome your calls at any time. You can call in if you're listening live now at area code three four seven nine four five seven eight nine one. That's three four seven nine four five seven eight nine one. There's also a chat room uh, on the website on blogtalkradio.com forward slash the mind whisperer. And if you tune into the program live you can participate through the chat room. And uh, if you're listening to the archive program, welcome and thank you for for, for supporting the program and taking interest. So uh, also with this program, I, I tend to, uh, as I do with my general creative process, uh, be open to things in flow. And I find I do my best work when I sort of immerse myself in a topic or just in the course of my own you know, interest and curiosity and pay attention to what's uh, coming up, and, and uh, this show kind of really forms itself. So I, I loosely set this topic today um, with a certain idea about what perfect love means in a universal sense, and a couple things came up. Uh, one from uh, a session that I was in in uh, private psychotherapy, uh, which I do as a private practice, uh, yesterday with a client, and uh, and then today was... Uh, a lecture that was given online on TED.com, um, which I found quite fascinating. So I want to share a bit of both those things to you. The general idea for t- today's program is really, again, sort of culminating in this tension uh, between the desire to complete ourselves or to feel complete through a partner and how that sets us up to, uh, well, it really sets the other person up to fail because 
it's really impossible for anyone else to fulfill those aspects of ourselves that we're not integrating first. And um, it really is a sort of disastrous in terms of relationship dynamics because um, you are seeing the other person through the gaze of your own insecurities as opposed to uh, really just seeing them for who they are and relating to them um, from a more authentic, real place and um, being engaged in in the um, romance and mystery of who that person is and in actuality, as opposed to the filter of our unfulfilled needs from our childhood. So we talked a lot about that the last few programs. Um, talked about knowing ourselves, and so the more you know yourself, the more you're going to be in touch with what you truly desire, as opposed to what you should be desiring or what you ought to be desiring according to other people's values, or putting aside your own genuine needs because of what you can get. So if we are, have an authentic relationship with ourselves, then we are going to be, again, more in flow, as I was saying, for example, creatively with this program, we're going to be more in flow in terms of the process of attracting what it is that we want in anything in life, not just a partner, but anything that uh, we desire to come our way because we don't already envision it as being separate from ourselves. So that part, that inseparability, is sort of a cornerstone of what I want to talk about today, and I'm forming my thoughts as we go here, so bear with me. Uh, but what came up yesterday in a session was speaking with a client about attachment in terms of childhood uh, bonding with parents and what's called attachment theory. And um, it just struck me in, in the middle of the session thinking about the, the the fetal experience of consciousness and or just the sensory experience of being in the womb. And if you think about it without getting too metaphysical, you know, we do come from the universe. I mean, we're the, we share the same atoms as the sun, a comet, um, cosmic debris, uh, radiation. I mean, everything that is, is us. And we are everything that is as well. And that's just a fact of existence, of, of uh, no matter which way you want to look at it. But scientifically speaking, um, we are atoms and molecules and, and chemistry, etc. So looking at ourselves as a being in in vitro in the womb we are sort of floating in we, we are floating in amniotic fluid and we are swimming in the ocean of sustenance in our in our mother's womb and we're connected via the uh, umbilical cord so so there's a symbiotic relationship there so there's still a sense of connectedness and and freud talks about this and jung as well at quite length in terms of what they call the oceanic experience is that um sense of being interconnected with the universe and that we lose that and there's a sort of a permanent sense of longing and that's in our archetypal outlook um if you will uh in terms of relationship and our our identity and sense of self is that we're trying to rekindle that connect connectedness and there is i believe a fundamental kind of severing that happens there because as we emerge into the world we're now in the world of human and sensory inter interdependence and stimuli and part of being a human being is you do have an ego and you do have a personality and you and it shapes who you are De again depending on your point of view you can look at that of uh you know reincarnation or karma or personality development or any of these different filters of insight but essentially speaking you know we we have to form our own sense of self to some extent to function in the world 
And uh, unfortunately, what happens there is that there's a lot of distortion that can uh, get in the way there. And, and my prevailing sort of view on that is is that there's two levels of that. One is that the distortions that occur that interfere with our healthy development as an autonomous person who's also interconnected and loved. And this comes through healthy attachment. So there's the if you if you if you want to call it the psychopathology of ourselves, that the this the timeline of how we develop and, and how it may be disrupted and that affects us psychologically and emotionally. But I also take that on a on a meta scale to look at um the lack of spiritual development we have um socially or culturally and that we are fundamentally kind of a society of of children who are have been pathologically disrupted because of the interruption of that natural state that we are born from of interconnectedness. Now, that has all kinds of complications, and it really does thread itself into what I've been talking about the last few programs, that your one's ability to gauge how that has happened really does affect um, or determine how we may be predisposed to needing uh, you know, another to complete ourselves or the sense that we're not enough. And we, feel, we I've gone on quite a bit in the last few programs about that. Um, but I'm going to divert a little bit from that um, because of this talk that I heard uh, this morning, actually, on TED. And it, it's a really great kind of um, reworking of something I brought up in a previous program about desire. One of the early programs they did was about looking at desire and particularly through the, the lens of uh, the, the Buddhist understanding or misunderstanding of Buddhism and desire and grasping, which was largely looking at Mark Epstein's work, Open to Desire, is a book that he wrote. And Mark is a New York psychiatrist who's also a uh, practicing Buddhist. And uh, so he's talking about how desire becomes kind of like compulsive and we become consumed by desire and that the object of our desire uh we lose the object of our desire in the grasping for that for that desire and he and he argues that buddhism is not saying that desire is in and of itself a bad thing it's just that we get lost in that consumptive compulsion to to have and that when you can rest in the space of desire then um then you can sort of breathe and and allow things to be as they as they are, and not lose yourself. And this is a wonderful segue to the topic today because I originally was going to talk about equanimity and the sense of perfect love is not um, fixed and and kind of holding hostage your your the love that you contribute or participate in the world to a romantic partner or lack of a romantic partner, and then you're sort of withholding from everything else in your life. And, and it really is about learning to experience love, to, to be in love with the world. And that was sort of what my original intent was, and I'm, I'm not abandoning that today. At the same time, I am, would l- really like to address uh, some wonderful insight from a talk by a New York-based uh, psychotherapist and writer and speaker by the name of uh, Esther Perel. And Esther is a... Uh, unbeknownst to me until today, a very widely acclaimed uh, author and and speaker on relationship and on sex and desire. And um, in her talk, um, which you can find on TED.com, it was actually a salon talk, so it wasn't at the TED conference. 
but it's an adjunct talk. Uh, the talk is called The Secret to Desire in a Long-Term Relationship. And she makes this distinction between love and desire. And essentially love is, she associates with the word, the verb um, to have. And desire, in terms of passion and sexual desire, she associates with um, wanting. And the problem, she says, is that there's this seemingly irreconcilable tension between the two things. So, in we have competing we have competing uh, interests or motivations for relationship. On the one hand, we are seeking security, connectedness, a sense of continuity, and home with and familiarity with a partner. And at the same time, we we seek to have that transcendent, mysterious, unpredictable, playful, adventurous uh, quality of life that we find through passion and, and sexual desire. And uh, so she's done a whole bunch of research around 20 countries in the world, and she said that some significantly consistent results came back. And that is basically that um, people tended to, to uh, maintain their desire in their long-term relationship in three ways. One is when their partner was away. And I'm going to see if I can remember these now. Uh, so in the so absence makes the heart grow fonder, of course, and, and you have some space between yourself and you, and you miss your partner and, and that makes you desire them. The second is when you can see them in, um, in the space that they occupy in their own way, their own aura of, of, of being. Uh, so when they're in their studio, when they are um, on stage in their element, and so you're kind of uh, regarding them in the gaze of, of the other. And so there's that sense of um, excitement that they are someone other than, than you. And the third one I can't remember now, unfortunately. I'm just getting over a bit of a cold too, so my, my recall is not so fantastic, even though I just uh, listened to this talk this morning. But there's a lot to digest in that 20 minutes. Um, but these, but the results are very curious, and she and she sort of really helps support this theory that she has about this uh, the, the some faulty notions we have about maintaining desire in a long term relationship that we have to keep finding freshness and spontaneity. And she's really basically arguing that we create space, we allow for that erotic space either through longing or through seeing the person uh, a little bit uh, separate from ourselves. Um, I think my third part might have been addressing the privacy of uh, their sexual identity, that we have our own um, sexual lives, not in terms of um, promiscuity, but in terms of your own fantasy life and in your internal life. And that might have been it. Um, regardless, we come back to the topic, and, and so she's talking about maintaining that passion in the long term of a relationship in in any number of those sort of three ways or combinations of those ways, rather than seeing it as this sort of fixed notion that um, we're going to constantly be wrestling between security and the desire for adventure and spontaneity. And uh, she quotes Marcel Proust, um, who said that, you know, it's, um, it's not so much um, looking for tra traveling to new places it's um, seeing the world with fresh eyes. And that's, I think, is a fantastic way to approach life in general, uh, going with the theme of this program, that 
to be in love with the world is to see the world constantly through fresh eyes. And that that sort of re- refreshing of your gaze of the world allows you to see the world more clearly for what it is, which is a sort of a very Buddhist orientation. That as we um, engage in self-reflection through uh, mindfulness meditation, for example, you become um, familiar, and that's one of the translations of meditation, the word, familiarization. You become familiar with the habitual nature of your own mind and see where you're operating from these preset or these sort of uh, crystallized, if you will, um, ideas and preconceptions about the world. And it allows you to go back to the world with kind of a, a fresh a fresh look. You're, 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 you're able to sort of have a reference point for where you are filtering the world and then come back and see the world differently. And I think that we're able to come to relationship or if you're single and you're looking for the other person in your life, which is a totally a valid search or desire, then um, the same uh, holds true, the same axiom holds true that um, really you're able to um, see everything in the world through as much as possible through clear eyes. And to make that balance between longing for the companionship of relationship and at the same time without it being dependent, that there's an interdependence there between yourself and the other person, which requires, of course, that you have self-knowledge and self-awareness and that you're fundamentally not unhappy with yourself. Um, And so that is sort of where I wanted to get to today to sort of sum up today's talk and what I originally wanted to address about perfect love. And this is the culmination of the last few programs. To be perfectly positioned to attract that which you want, to attract the perfect partnership for you. And we all have, we're all individuals, and so we're going to attract what's meaningful to us and appropriate to us and our circumstances and our personalities and what's compatible for us. But the perfect partnership for you, in a general sense, is predicated upon this idea. And that is very simple, and you may have heard this before. But I I believe and know this to be very true. Be that which you wish to attract. To attract the perfect partner, to attract a love that you want, dot, 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 that relationship to represent, whether it's passion, desire, commitment, excitement, um, adventure together, whatever it is, you have to embody that quality first. To live in the world in that way so that you may attract it to yourself. And we know this to be true in in the dating realm, that if you're just engaged in doing the things in life that are natural to you and and drive you, then you're bound to meet the person who's going to be compatible with you. And that's a very practical notion. But in a deeper sense, and in terms of a long-term sense, uh, as as, um, regards attracting the perfect partner and relationship, you need to embody the qualities and the aspects of that relationship already you want to attract. Therefore, you will, it will resonate with the person who is, who is um, compatible with that and, and is going to be drawn towards it. So if you want a partner that is communicative and tender and nurturing and vulnerable and et cetera, et cetera, then you also have to be embodying those qualities already. You're not waiting to close that gap, as Esther Perel says, you know, there's that tension between wanting the security of contracting that gap, you know, between the desire of having the other person and, and them being there. And so, instead of 
being compelled to close the gap and not feel that distance and separation in your life, which can choke a relationship and can also make you incredibly lonely as an individual, you can again rest in the openness of that space. And that space can allow you to be and allow the other person to be and to make the courtship process and, and the relationship um, come together in a uh, in a meaningful and, and, and a respectful and healthy way. And the same thing if you're in a relationship already, then that will allow space for that relationship to breathe. One of the things that Perel talks about that I think is profound and I would be missing if I didn't bring it up is that the um, originally the idea of monogamy was there, marriage per se was there as a survival trait. To, you know, pair bonding is really about survival of the species and, and within your family unit. And the notion of romantic love, as she's found going across many different cultures, has really um, recalibrated or, or created a whole sort of identification with love in a particular way, a monogamous love around marriage, which aren't necessarily the, the same thing. And so we've kind of hemmed ourselves in that this relationship with this one person for the rest of our lives is supposed to fulfill all these things that were originally done, as she says, by an entire village. So you have, you know, all the aspects that you want in your life and you have to fold them all into, you know, the interaction with one person who's supposed to fulfill these things. So hence the idea that you want to have your own activities, your own, as she calls it, private sexual life. Um, and by that I mean, you know, internally your sexual desires and fantasies and, and even flirtations in life, as long as it's not obviously crossing a line. And um, it takes a lot of the pressure off of that relationship. And it certainly takes a lot of the pressure if you're dating uh, or seeking partnership um, to be completed or fulfilled, you know, by that other person. And it's really not giving it a running chance. So there we are. Uh, very, very dense topic today for Valentine's Day, but I hope it's given you a lot of food for thought. And as you go through the day, I encourage you, uh, and if you've listened to the archive program in your daily life, to maybe look at the world a little bit differently through those, as Proust says, those fresh eyes, as opposed to the idea of longing to go to new places. The world is always full of newness, and you can find richness in the world to love the world in a new way every day and regard other beings with that um, more deep, pervasive sense of love, not just the romantic, idealized, fixated sense of love, individualized love, but um, what they call loving kindness or equanimity in Buddhism, and that uh, all beings um, deserve to be happiness, to be happy and want happiness, and uh, and to regard all beings as in that way, and um, it certainly will enrich your experience and, you know, ease a lot of that sort of tension that goes with uh, relationships the way we normally look at them. So I hope you've enjoyed today's program. Stay tuned next week. There'll be a whole other topics we'll be exploring. And as always, thank you so much for listening to The Mind Whisper. I've been your host, Michael Gordon, and we'll see you next time or talk to you next time. Bye for now. 